show. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Is this show killing people? Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. I'm so proud of us. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? I have so many questions right off the bat. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you're too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault. When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm, this one's a challenge. Both of my eyes are twitching. We we are, are out of practice. Yes. Hello. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the out of practice agreements. Agreement for real. This is supposed to be Foley's Follies, but no, we are here. We are teasing out before the finale episode, episode six. You're going to listen to an episode of Agreement. I think also just to let you know that we are bringing Agreement back on the regular every fortnight. And so that's going to come up after Foley's Follies. And we are so excited to be back. We've both talked several times about how we miss it. And we've just been keeping little lists of things for potential future agreements. For those of you who maybe have never heard an agreement and you like Foley's Follies or you've been listening to Foley's Follies, agreement is the original podcast where Michelle and I bring to the table three things each, which we don't know about beforehand. We bring a weird thing. And a pop culture thing. And then like a very effluvious, broad category of research thing. But I feel like our research thing usually ends up a little longer and a little more complex. And oh, and then the most important part of agreement, I almost forgot, because it's been so long since I've done it, is that we have to make everything that we have shared over the podcast fit together and condense it into some sort of message or theme. And sometimes that takes as long as the rest of the podcast. The rest get buckling, right? Because you might think, oh, they're at category three. It should be done. No, we might not even be halfway through. That's it. And let's start with weird thing. I brought up my notes from very long ago. This is technically episode 35 of Angry Men. proud of us. 35. I know. 35 episodes. We're going to have to have a 40th birthday blowout or something. Yes, yes. And it is my turn to go first. Floor is yours. So I'm going to start with my weird thing. Broken record. The world is a very weird place, so it's hard to compete with. This is something that I just went with kind of personal to me, which is, I mean, a lot of weird things happened to me this week. And some of them I already told Michelle about, so I can't use them, like how a whole tree got pulled out of my toilet hole. And I don't mean toilet hole as a euphemism for my my body as a hole in my body. I mean it. I'm sorry. Out of practice. 
<laughs> that would be so, we so don't have to weird. No, nothing weird will live up to me pulling the tree out of my toilet hole. My toilet hole, I mean the hole in the floor of your home that the toilet plugs up to. I had a lot of plumbing issues. I learned a lot about that trees can grow basically. It turns in out your toilet. that trees in your toilet is not great for your plumbing. Okay, but that's not my weird thing. because, And it can't be because I already told Michelle all that. But something I didn't tell Michelle, slightly less weird, is that last week I had what was supposed to be a very minor oral surgery that turned into a major oral surgery. But it was pretty bad. I had to like cut my gums open and get in there. And um, once they were in there, I just hear the dentist start to go, oh, no. Oh, no. That's not oh, what you want. That's not what you want to hear. It. As they're like, I'm bleeding a lot. They're slipping in my blood on my face. It, so then you hear, oh, no, no. So it turned into, for various reasons that are not interesting, a much longer surgery because someone had messed something else up on an implant. I had an implant that got put in wrong and they discovered it during the surgery. And because of that, I had to have a ton of bone grafts, a lot of bone graft. All that to say that when I told people, oh, I had a bone graft, they all had a very similar question. And so if I told you, Michelle, I'm telling you now, oh, I had a bone graft, had to get a lot of bone in there. Do you have any questions about that? Where did the bone come from? Yes, that was the number one question. Where's that bone from? And I had never thought about it. And I would also, I'll ask you then a second question is what would be your guess? I mean, Michelle's is it from somewhere a- else in your body? That ding, it's not. But I say ding, 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 because 99% of the people who were like, where does the bone come from? It was immediately followed from, do they take it out of another part of you? And that sounds very intense and bad. And I don't have a lot of bone to give, I don't think, extra bone. So the answer is no. That's not what they do. But then I never thought about what they do. So my, I asked the dentist before we started, because I knew I needed a bone graft either way. It just turned out that I have a lot more, like so much bone in my face. But it comes from, he said, oh, you're really lucky today because it's, we have a bunch of cadaver bone. So my, my face now is full of some other dead person's bones. And you're lucky because it was like a, a good cadaver week. He's like cadaver. He's like cadaver bones are good. You want a cadaver bone, um, which are also sometimes just known, I think, as like donor bones. So if you donate your your organs, one of those things can be your bones. I would and- never have thought of that. So wait, no. so he's like, you're lucky because the cadaver bones. So what do you get if there aren't cadavers? Bovine bones, cow bones. Oh. And I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed. I grew up on a farm with cows um, and thus a lot of cow skeletons all over the place. I think it would have been really cool if I could have had some some cow bone in my face. It's just making me think about, um, sorry to bother you. So I, I... <gasps> yes. Ah. So be you're lucky you have cadaver bones. I know. I'm like, I have a real human bone in my face, not cow bone. And people are like, yeah, we all have human bones. They're like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> no, but it's somebody else's bones in my face. Um, yeah, which is very happened on Halloween. It's very Halloweeny and very fun. So I did, this isn't my research thing, but just if you are curious, I think that's a weird thing to know that if you need a bone graft, at least a dental bone graft, more likely than not, you will either get 
human beings or cow bones, but sometimes pigs. Sometimes they use pigs. They can make artificial bone to graft, but it usually doesn't. It'll, it gets rejected more and the body doesn't take to it as much, but they do, they used to, they don't anymore, but everyone said, oh, do they take it from another part of your body? They used to do that. And that's known as autogenous bones because that's your, you're harvesting bones from yourself. And that was for a very long time, completely the standard. They were worried about various diseases. They were worried about the body rejecting it, but at least in dental practice, it's not really an issue. And they grind the bones down. It's bone dust, which is a lot less romantic than me having like a full hunk of someone's bone in my face, but they grind it down and then they like press it in. So it's ground like up. A, like a like a powder, like a paste they turn it yeah. into. So That's interesting. Like, yeah. I was like, how do they, like, what part of your body do they take it from to make it fit? Or But it's not like they have to like sculpt it. They're just like. Hmm. Like a paste, a little powder. So that's, yep. Got bones in your face. Maybe just your bones. Maybe somebody else's bones if you're lucky. Maybe next time you'll get to get some cow bones and you'll just have a whole little like party going on. I should just, yeah, like old McDonald. Old McCatherine had a mouth in it. Here a pig, there a pig, everywhere a pig, pig. Old McCatherine had a mouth. E-I-E-I-O. We're back and creaming. <laughs> I'm going to add very briefly a little anecdote to your story. Because you were talking about how they were going into your mouth. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, where someone needs to pull these medical professionals aside and give them a lesson on, like, when people are in these terrible compromising positions, you cannot say out loud the thoughts in your head. Because I was in a car accident once and I was okay. But um, I was okay enough that the emergency room they took me to was so busy that they just stuck me um, on like a gurney in a hallway for mm. hours. And I was in a car accident with two other people. Um, and somebody walked by and just very casually like, man, everyone is dying tonight. And like, I'm like, excuse me. Excuse me. I can't lift my head up. Cause I'm like in a neck brace. I'm like, excuse me. I need, I need someone to come clarify who's, that everyone is dying? dying statement. Like, uh, I'm going to need some more details about that. All the people that were in the car with me were fine, but I'm like, don't just casually walk by people strapped to gurneys and say everyone is dying tonight that's not that's not good don't no don't go exploring in someone's mouth and be like oh no oh no like oh no okay so that's my weird thing so now we have to fit into whatever mess we have cadaver bone teeth which should really be a good well they turn into a powder you can fit them wherever you want where exactly where can't you fit them (laughs) they will be the glue that holds everything together (laughs) (laughs) whatever our final thing is Best believe it's held together by cadaver bone paste. <laughs> so my weird thing is that I joined a Facebook group. I'm going to back up a little bit. One of my favorite things. <laughs> one of I my favorite things say cult. I was like, say cult. Joined a. I joined, joined a, a cult. No. Um, no, I joined a Facebook group. But one of my favorite things on the internet is just oddly specific Facebook groups. And I often am only tangentially as interested in them as the people who are most active in there. But I just like, like I joined this like group for handy women and I am not a handy woman, but I just <laughs> love watching like everybody's home construction projects. I'm like, good for you. Good job. And they're like all very like affirming and supportive. And it's just, it's just a nice space to be. 
And um, I joined a group for like um, a group where someone will explain a joke for you if you don't get it. And so people will just post things and people will very calmly and kindly come in and explain what's funny about it. And it's just so like I, I just have these little pockets of Facebook groups that I just really, really love. Um, and so I joined a wingspan group for the board game wingspan. Yes. Excellent board game. Love it. And, and it, the group is really fun. Like people are, um, sometimes they're just posting pictures of birds, like actual real life birds. And often they're showing pictures of like their final board to talk about strategy or, you know, pictures of their kids playing or, uh, people make homemade, um, like they'll, they'll sell them on Etsy, like upgrades to the components. And so people will show off that or like they'll, they'll knit their own like nest to put the eggs in. And like, it's just really delightful. Like people That's get so really, really nice. Interested. It's a really nice game. It has all the fun of, I talked about on the podcast before, um, Isle of Cats. I think it has all the fun of Isle of Cats, none of the accidental allusions to slave ships. Yeah, so. and like my six-year-old son loves Wingspan so much that like we now have it on like all of our electronic devices because he needs to play it constantly. So, so Which they- if you haven't played Wingspan, everyone, that's- insanely impressive to me because it's a pretty difficult game for someone that young to be playing and being good at i know a lot of times he just chooses the birds he likes but he knows the mechanics of it he does know the mechanics um but he is very into so he'll get mad at me like he'll come like i'll be playing on um i play it on board game arena and he'll come and look and he's like mom i need you to choose the what what is his favorite the painted white start he's like the painted white start is there unique i'm like that does not fit my strategy he's like it's the prettiest bird i'm like that's not so he but he wins sometimes and so sometimes picking the prettiest bird will let you win but my weird thing is good life lesson did you know that stonemeyer games is here local in st louis no i didn't it didn't either which is really cool um i learned that because of my weird thing which is that Stonemeyer Games, which cre- creates Wingspan and also does uh, Tapestry and um, Scythe and uh, something else, like a few other like really big, complicated, beautiful games. Um, so, but Wingspan is one of their like biggest, most popular games. It has a bunch of expansions. So they're going to do an expansion for every continent. And so they have, um, so North America was the original and then they did European and they did Oceania. And so the Asia expansion just came out, like just released like last week. And along with the Asia expansion, they released what they're calling a nesting box, which is a giant box with these nice like trays to fit all of the different components of the game and all of its expansions and all of the future planned expansions. So if you buy this nesting box, you can fit everything into one gigantic box. Um, And so Stonemaier Games put out like they sent out in their newsletter and they posted it on this Facebook group months ago. And they were like, look, we have this in the works. We're planning it. Can you please fill out this form to let us know if you might be interested in buying one because we need to know how many to produce. And uh, this is expensive. This is a really niche thing. It's expensive to ship. So like we can't, you know, we can't overproduce these. So they got, and let me, I'm going to actually pull up the letter that they put about the because controversy. the after parts the are beautiful. Like it is a beautifully made game. Yes. So yes. I can only like, imagine clearly, this box is going to be involved. So um, they received interest 
for 8,000 people that said that they might be interested in buying, might be interested in buying the nesting box upon release. They did not want to do like a Kickstarter style. You have to pay in advance because they didn't, if it didn't come together, they didn't want to like have to, they were just like, right. that's not what we want to do. Right. That they very consciously decided that they would just gather interest and then they would take on the risk of producing these things. And they're big. So like, yeah. and they, they, you can't stack them inside of each other because they're gigantic boxes. So they're like, you know, storage, like we can't store thousands of these that people right. didn't buy. So 8,000 people said they might be interested. They made 10,000 boxes, which was Ooh. already kind of a risk, right? Yeah. If 8,000 people say they're interested, I would make like 6,000. Right. They sold out in 24 hours and people oh. are so I angry. Would be so wrong. <laughs> Wow. People who play wingspan are some of like, I feel like it's a litmus test because they are like, they're people I get along with, they're people I can hang out with, but there's more on the intense side of the people I do like and hang out with. And I will count you amongst that, your intent in beautiful ways. I, I use intense as a high compliment, but then it's so fun to watch these people get kind of intense about a game about birds. Um, I told someone about the Asian expansion pack and they didn't know about it yet. And I think they stomped their foot and just went, motherfucker, why am I behind on this? <laughs> it's like, oh, because you won't get it. It's not out yet. You just didn't know. How are you supposed to plan if you don't know in advance? But clearly there's two, there's like at least 2000 people going, motherfucker, why didn't I buy this box? <laughs> unity on this facebook group that's so intense that's a good word for it of just like how could you sell out in 24 hours you're creating <laughs> fake scarcity you're trying to like how dare you do this to us that stonemeyer games had to put out a blog post titled the great nesting box debate <laughs> I, i'm i'm not i'm not going to read it all but i'm just going to share my screen so you can oh, see how long hear, this yeah. is oh wow this has like sub paragraphs to sub paragraphs I'm, I'm still scrolling yeah still scrolling bold bold sub paragraphs bold wording wow <laughs> so like, and I just in bold in bold at the end my goal is to serve you better <laughs> so, wow. so they're like trying to say like you know we didn't we didn't try to make false scarcity. We created 2,000 more than the max number that people said that they might be interested in buying. Like they were terrified that they weren't going to sell them and that they were going to have this huge storage problem. Yeah. And uh, so they were trying to explain why they didn't use like a Kickstarter style. And they're like, it just, people were just so angry. And so th that is my weird thing. Um, it, it, They have a plan now that people seem to be satisfied with to get a second print that'll probably be out sometime. You can tell your friend it'll probably be out sometime in um, okay. the early part of next year if they need their nesting box. Uh, and this one did, it was $100 to buy what is essentially an empty box, but it did come wow. with the Asia expansion, not bought like, so not the box with the Asian expansion, just in, included inside. inside. The they yeah. tucked it in. Uh, which the Asia expansion is normally, I think like $30. So you're still talking about like without the box for the Asia expansion, probably like $75 for what is essentially an empty box, right? So I guess if I needed to like sum my weird thing up into a little takeaway, uh, it would be just kind of what these little like niche micro communities have done to marketing. Because 
I mean, obviously this is good for Stonemaier Games, right? Like they're making a profit, they get to create these things. But it also, it, I mean, it doesn't create false scarcity. It creates genuine scarcity because yeah. this like sense of, oh, I'm missing out on something big. Because I do not think that people would have gotten this excited about an empty box. If And I, I'm not putting it down. Like, it sounds pretty cool. I kind of thought about buying one. But I so far, I only have the base game. I have not bought the, phys- the physical versions of the expansions. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know that I need all of that. So I'm just, I'm really, and I've seen this happen with some other things like, uh, like the nugget, which is like a, yes. Yeah. Like I remember obsessed with that. And like, it just, we just create this sense of like, oh, this is the must have thing, which is interesting because there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of companies who try to create that, right. Who try to create that sense of missing out and that sense of you must have this, but I don't think a company can do it. I, I think that it just like the people have to do it. And yeah. you don't really know if yours is going to be the thing that becomes what people are obsessed with or not. And so I just, I find that interesting. I find it kind of And curious. just the There's- Facebook page aspect of it too. Okay, so. Go. We're doing it. We're flying through. Don't you think we're flying through? Oh, wait, just wait. I bet, I bet the brakes come on. <laughs> So next is pop culture and my pop culture. I had trouble choosing. I almost did my thing where I'm like, Oh, here's a weird TV thing. And I tried to explain it to you. Like when I told you that like Kermit the frog was on the mass singer, but I'm like, those are only interesting to me. And this one would take too long. So I'm not doing that. Also, I, I watched um, what I now consider my favorite movie ever, which is queen of the damned over the weekend. Which, if you have not seen Queen of the Damned, not. have you? It's a loose, loose sequel to Interview with a Vampire. And it is just, you know how movies are timeless? Some movies, not movies, but some movies are timeless. And they can either be timeless because they are, you know, just classic, right? Just there's things that are evergreen. It's not really being trendy. It's just things that hold up, tried and true classic things. And so it's timeless, but some movies are such a perfect encapsulation of that time that they become out of time. They become like um, time capsules. Why couldn't I think of the word time capsule? They become like perfect time capsules to where you don't even like, until you watch it, you're like, that's how it was. That is how it, they just got They just got it and not in a cool way or a trendy way, but just like what it was to live in that moment. And this is my new favorite movie because it is just peak 2000 hot topic mall goth. That's the vibe. And they captured that era when you and I were like teenagers wanting to go to hot topic perfectly. And it is about the vampire Lestat just joins a vampire band and he's just in a band. And it's such a ridiculous movie. Um, but Jonathan Davis did all the music. Jonathan Davis. He did all of the, he wrote it all. He performed almost all of it. Um, but then for like contractual reasons, didn't perform all of it. And so some was performed from, by the guy from Papa Roach. And some was performed by the guy from, um, is it Orgy? Who did the, how does it feel song? 
they redid Blue Monday. Yeah, I think it is Orgy. Orgy, right? So like all the people we were listening to when we were like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, I don't know. You, they're just all being this vampire's voice. And it's just so of the moment. Anyway, I've gone on way too long for something that is not my pop culture. I just want to say. <laughs> no, this isn't your pop culture thing. <laughs> no, but I just, I, I've already run into like three different people at grocery stores and we're like quick catching up. And I was just like, have you seen Queen of the Damned? And I love it. I love it. It's very bad, but I think it is my favorite movie. I'm just going to end it there. Um, my pop culture thing. And I think this is like we said, some things are timely. And I think by now this has made the round so much. You may have already heard this. But did you know that Julia Roberts birth was paid for by Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King? What? Michelle's face went from, okay, okay, to, oh, that's not what I was expecting to happen. No, no, that's not where so I was you expecting did, that to go. So you did not know that, that Julie no. Roberts, the actress, pretty woman at all, um, well, her birth was paid for by Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King. So you read that and that seems like the most clickbaity headline ever. And I clicked it. I'm like, that can't be, what does that even mean? That can't be right. And actually I learned a lot about Julia Roberts, her parents, she's from Atlanta and her parents in Atlanta had a theater school called the actors and writers workshop. And so they ran it and Julia Roberts says, this is like her talking, one day Coretta Scott King called my mother and asked if her kids could be part of the school because they were having a hard time finding a place that would accept her kids. And my mom was like, sure, come on over. And so they all just became friends and they helped us out of a jam, says Roberts. So Julia Roberts' parents are friends with the Kings because their children Yolanda King in particular, um, went to acting school under the tutelage of Julie Roberts' parents. And so apparently the, the acting school did not make money. They weren't really making a living off of it. And when they went to have Julia Roberts give birth to her, they couldn't cover the medical bills or the hospital bill. And so Martin Luther King and Curtis Scott King stepped in and said, we'll, we'll pay for her. We'll cover the medical expenses of her birth. And that was Julia Roberts. And it's very, the whole story of this acting school is very interesting. Um, there's a whole article by the playwright, Philip Dupois, who also went there and has an essay about one time they were, they were rehearsing for a play and a member of the Ku Klux Klan, Klan drove a truck up next to the school and blew it up because they were trying to blow up this school because it was an integrated acting school where they let you know black kids and white kids be in plays together and it actually got attacked quite a lot so this is such a like tour of american horrors story that it's like you know you can't afford to have your baby because of the american right? healthcare system your children you only became friends because your children weren't allowed to go to any school because it was segregated and the integrated one gets attacked by the Ku Klux Klan like it's like a yep. yeah wow and and then out of that comes Julia pretty Roberts. woman pretty woman <laughs> Julia the... Roberts. 
It's the it just is so interesting. I was like, what? Because she's not a bad actress, but she's fairly banal. And I'm like, wow, I did not know that her family had this history. It's very interesting. So that's my pop culture. Learning about Julia Roberts. That is fascinating. I'm glad you had not heard it yet. No, I had not. Okay. Well, okay. So my pop culture thing is a little bit cheating because uh, we have obviously already been talking about part of this because I only watched the rehearsal because you made me. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not though. I'm not at all. There's no way I would have finished it if I had not told you I was going to finish it. But I think I'm glad I did. I don't know how I feel about the fact that there's supposed to be a second season. I don't think I like that. I feel like it should maybe not be because I'm not sure if I find it an ethical thing to exist in the world. Okay, so this is a little long-winded. Sorry, you all. I'm out of practice for the angryment. I know I was long-winded even when I was in practice, but it was. Um, I, I feel like it was not you, but I'm thinking of myself. A different kind of long-winded. We yeah. knew where we were going. Now we're finding. Yeah, we're I feel like I'm way. like you know I'm kind of like before I was just like oh buckle up I have a lot to say, but now I'm yeah. just trying to figure out how I'm putting it all together. Um, Do I have a lot to say? No, I don't know, I but I'm sure within within a few fortnights we'll be back in full form. Don't. Just but there might be too more harshly if this is your first agreement. There might be more random footsteps and doors closing in the background because I'm like, I want to use these fully skills. I want to keep editing sounds in. <laughs> oh, Michelle, Michelle's getting up. She's getting up. She's walking. She's closing oh, her door. Is that a door closing? Oh, oh she's so we're gonna have to down. narrate just so we can have some. Just you never banging left your, your head seat. against the desk as she thinks about watching the rehearsal. <laughs> Live Foley right there. <laughs> oh, I'm so good. Okay, so the rehearsal is a show by Nathan Fielder, who did Nathan for You. Um, it's on HBO Max. Interestingly, sorry, I'm hijacking your pop culture. Go ahead. But it was part of this deal, HBO Max for a while. Um Oh, good. New, like, Maybe because one of my questions is how the hell did this get made? But oh yeah, 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 yeah. The fun, like the budget for this is astronomical. Um, so basically, the head of programming, whoever is in charge of finding programming for HBO Max, changed a few years ago, and that person, I don't know their name offhand, decided that you know one of the ways they could there's so many channels there's so many streaming channels how do you stand out in the market is that they could make really like quality artsy like more highfalutin programming and so they got together with a lot of playwrights a lot of people who didn't work in television um and just threw money at more interesting odd projects and they had had a lot of money because it's HBO and so um, one of those was, I've talked about him a lot, the playwright Jeremy O'Harris. They had made a deal with him that they were going to make a show together. And he, they just had so much money they were throwing around that he made a deal that if they did the show, they would also, through HBO's money, fund like three or four plays he wanted to do. And that is why we have, by the way, Ratatouille, Ratatouille. the musical. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Circle Jerk is from HBO Max money from this person. Um, 
Turns out people didn't want that. It didn't do too well. No longer the head of programming. But I think the reason that this kind of odd, we'll say it's an odd show. Some people think it's torture. Some people think it's ethically wrong. Some people's like, oh, it's art. But either way, this huge budget thing was like during that time when they were trying to be really interesting. They were interesting. (laughs) They achieved that. So so my actual pop culture thing is not just the rehearsal because that felt kind of cheating since I'd been texting you my live reactions. We've been talking. We've been trying to figure it out. Yeah. But for those of you who have not seen this show, I cannot explain it to you. I cannot sum it up for you. I'm not even worried about spoiling it because I can't spoil it for you because I don't understand what I watched. Um, So, but it is a six part exploration of, in theory, this, the host, Nathan, is helping people who applied, he found them on Craigslist, to rehearse difficult things in their lives so that they can like, make a confession or um, confront a family member about something or decide if they want to become a parent. And so there's these like, he's going to help them walk through these scenarios that could happen when they, when they deal with this thing so that they can make an informed decision. And it starts out seeming like it's going to be like about the psychology of how people choose to participate in conversations And the very first episode is all about this guy who has to confess that he's been lying about having a master's degree to a person that he's on a uh, trivia team with. And so they have like a flow chart of all the possible things that the other person could say. And they're, they're like mapping that out. And the guy's memorizing all these, all these lines that he would respond with each particular thing. And they're, they're like blocking it out, like an acting situation where it's like, oh, if she does this, then you move this way. If she like, there's they create right like if she sits in a different chair what will you do but yeah part of the budget is they fully recreated the bar that he would be doing it in down to like what what food was on the counter and what chairs had rips in them and like very meticulous detail and then you find out that he's nathan has been rehearsing the rehearsal with the actor that he hired to pretend to be the guy that he was and then like Then there's all this like subterfuge and lying where like an actor is hired to pretend to be a bird watcher to interview the woman that the guy's going to confess to so that they can learn more about her so that they can pretend to be her. And it just becomes these like layers of deception. Um, And I feel like Nathan is trying to present himself. Nathan, the character, is trying to present himself as like sympathetic and caring about these people. But like Nathan, the creator of the show, comes off as completely unhinged. And so there's this weird like duality that that exists. And so I'm looking at an article from Vox called Four Ways of Looking at the Rehearsal, which I'll send so you can stick it in the show notes. Um, And so the four ways, I won't, it's, it's another really long article, but the four ways that they give are as one, an exploitative reality show in which Nathan is a monster. Um, I definitely see how you could come to that conclusion that like if he's just trying to show off the depths of like how manipulative a reality show can be and because I did not even get into the more bizarre parts of this show mainly because that would be like two hours of take forever yeah just if you want to know more about it just go watch like two episodes and you'll have a good sense of what's going on so like one one view is that it is an exploitative reality show in which nathan's kind of a monster that's just pushing people to show like look at how much 
we can make look at how ridiculous we can make these people behave look right um then there is the rehearsal is an exceptionally weird documentary and nathan is an artist that's the second way of looking at it i don't know that those things are mutually exclusive from one another oh absolutely so. not absolutely not do you know how many artists torture people and are <laughs> awful like most of them i would most of the famous ones i would say but i did Akanchi. Vito Akanchi had a piece just called Following Piece where he chose someone off the street and just stalked them all day. Like, that's terrifying and probably yeah. illegal. I, you know, no, it's art. So exactly. It's not mutually excuse, exclusive to be unethical and be creating art. But I did like this quote at the beginning of this section, the second explanation. It's from filmmaker Robert Green, who makes documentaries. And he said, pretty much every great documentary is on some level about how it maybe shouldn't exist. And I liked that. Like, I like that a lot. I think that's, we've been, like you said, texting about this show nonstop. Because I I will say, I do like the show a lot. And I tend to side more on both those two things. Like, I think he is really being cruel to people at times especially the actors in it that really hurt my heart because like if he says it's acting what appear to be single moms who really need some child care right Right, because part of this uses a ton of child actors the third from this fox article the third way of reading it as as a um, mia culpa memoir where nathan is a wounded man this gets a little bit into his own divorce that happened in 2014 um which i mean that's quite quite a ways removed yeah very recent show but maybe just him trying to figure out his own sort of uh missteps in life and sort of a you know midlife reflection on what he did or didn't do and uh there's this weird storyline where he sort of inserts himself as a pseudo father figure with this woman who's trying to figure out if she wants to be a mother and they're kind of existing as a family unit but there's no like romantic pretense at all um and like his questions about how he should or should not behave towards her sort of mirror like questions about what you owe somebody in a relationship um so then maybe maybe that that's a reading and then this article says the rehearsal is well we don't know yet and nathan fielder is a trickster and in this, I found out, so this article from Vox was written in um, August 8th of 2022. And I think that, um, I don't know when all these episodes came out. I don't think it had, maybe it had just finished airing I, if it had. I think they had just aired, oh, here, they had just aired episode four. And okay. so they sent media the first five episodes to preview and watch so that they could write about it but they would not send them the last episode. So as of the time that this article was written, they were like, what are they hiding in that last episode? Right. And of course you and I know that what they were hiding was just a mess. Like it was, it wasn't any big like gotcha or like, I almost wonder if episode six wasn't filmed yet. And that's why they didn't show it to them. Oh yeah. Cause it's, yeah, it's just, it doesn't really end or culminate with anything. It's just, here's the final episode and it gets really, that's one of the sadder ones, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it gets really emotional. It gets really convoluted. Um, it really makes you question like, what am I even watching? Which is again, it's full circle, right? That's the that's the title of this article. Like, what am I watching? And so my real pop culture thing is that I have been similarly asking myself a question 
as I'm watching the final season of Atlanta, are you watching the final season of Atlanta? Yes. Okay. Or are you caught up? I'm not entirely caught up. I think I'm I one haven't. No. Okay. I love it. I love it. And I have no idea what's going on. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know what I am watching. Um, I, th- but I think, I think that there is a connection between these two shows and that both of them are at their heart about like, what does it mean to be real? And what does it mean to act? And yeah, um, I don't think they're asking the question. Or I don't, I think they're asking the same question and answering it in very different ways. But I think that that question and the fact that these two shows, um, both at this point with like pretty big budgets and in Atlanta's case was like this sleeper hit where people were like, Oh, this is amazing. And it, it has landed Donald Glover. Um, I can't remember what streaming service he ended up making a deal with, but he has a deal to make like more TV shows and like to have all this creative control. I think over- it was Amazon prime, but yeah, had a lot yeah. of control. Um, And so, I mean, I just feel like there's definitely something in this moment where that is a question that we really want to watch. Um, we we want to watch that be examined. And I like here, this is from the Vox article about the rehearsal again. The longer you watch the rehearsal, the less obvious it is what you're actually watching. And that's not a bug. It's a feature. The rehearsal is at least in part designed to activate a connection that's rarely alive in the largely passive medium of TV, the link between audience and creator. TV tends to make us feel connected to characters, not the people behind the camera, to put it another way, if it makes you feel weird, that's the point. And I feel like that entire paragraph could have been written about Atlanta, just replacing yeah. the word, the rehearsal with Atlanta. And it would have absolutely made perfect sense as well. I agree. That question of what is it to act, I think. Yeah, that's what they're both covering. Well, and I think it's really interesting to call TV a largely passive a largely passive medium. And I wonder as compared to what, right? Like, um, were YouTube for instance. I was going to say like YouTube, right? Is, Where you subscribe but those creators to creators are not, I mean, they're not the real versions of themselves either. They have to not. become more simplified, more polished, uh, more with a message that stays central to what they're trying to do. Even if it doesn't feel very central, like even if they feel all over the place, like I was just um, listening to kind of a takedown of the media coverage of the Try Guys scandal and they were like, oh yeah <laughs> and and, and it was the, right they, I mean, basically it's like they built a prison of success where they're never allowed to be human and never allowed to be themselves because everyone feels so close to who they are as humans that if they fail that they're done their source of income is gone you have to be yeah that's that's why youtube is fascinating that you have to be someone who everyone believes you're talking just to them you're close, you're intimate while still doing that for millions, hundreds of thousands of times, millions of people. So you're not being specific. How could you be necessarily if you're a big YouTuber? And then if you fail on that persona by either people realize it's fake or if in your real life you do something wrong, they hate it. And I think this is probably why everyone's so concerned about what acting is because we all know they're acting on YouTube. And yet we all also think we're watching a real version of them and both can be true because we're in such a post reality TV world 
where like, as soon as a camera is in front of you, there's some script in your head that you're flicking to and starting to do, I think. And, and I don't want to give you any spoilers for um, Atlanta, but the way that they are trying to answer that question, I would say is a lot better than the way that the rehearsal is trying to answer it. Like, I think it's a lot smarter and I think it is a lot more um, filled out and interesting, um, but they are definitely trying to answer that same question. I'm excited to watch it now with this in my head is this filter to be like how I would not think to compare those two, but that is, I think, spot on. Did you ever hear about dumb Starbucks? About what? Dumb Starbucks. Dumb Starbucks? No. Oh, I'm probably going to edit all this out. Um, There is this whole thing where it came up as a viral. People were like, what is this? Where there was a shop front that looked exactly like a Starbucks. It was open. You could do business. But instead of a Starbucks, it was called Dumb Starbucks. And it had all the Starbucks logos, all the Starbucks drinks, but the word dumb was in front of everything. And it turns out that that was basically, it was real. People were using it as a store. No one knew why it was there. And then months later, that season of Nathan For You came out and he had done that for just, for something else to do with the show. There is a, I'm trying to decide if this is a spoiler or not. I don't think it is because like you see it for two seconds before you understand that it is fake. Okay. There is a fake storefront in um, Atlanta. I won't say what is in it or why it is there, but when you get to the state, oh, I'm excited. Storefront scene. Um, Think about that. I'm just going to go research. Just gonna one foot in front of the other as we get back in the game. I do think my research ties into a lot of what we're saying. And this is research that started off as just something I found interesting and wanted to research and circled all the way around to actually having a lot to do with my own academic career research. So I was excited about that. This all started with an essay by Josh Gondelman, who is a comedian I like a lot. You might know from um, Normal Gossip, which again, like um, the rehearsal is something I was like, oh, watch this, listen to this. And Michelle's like, was no, he the nice one like who this. was like, I like it when people say nice things about each other when they're not around. Yeah. That, that guy. Okay. He yeah. was like the reverse gossip, right? Yeah. Which I really did love. And that's kind of his whole thing. He is clever and funny, but he's very sweet and kind of sincere. So he wrote an essay about visiting the metaverse that he wanted to go on vacation but he didn't have enough money so he's doing a little staycation and he's writing he's like i'm gonna go try the metaverse out let's see what that's about and so basically and i say the metaverse but now it's just meta right it's called meta now which is facebook's whole virtual reality world and so I thought that was a really interesting article. I'm going to quote from it really quick to show you what's kicking this off. Josh Gondelman wrote, the overall vibe um, of Meta and the Metaverse was a nightclub for video game characters from 20 years ago, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit's Toontown for the turn of the millennium. I half expected to wander past a shit-faced Mario with an equally drunk Luigi, bellowing that he's better off without the princess anyway. It's a functional, uncanny valley. It lacks the thorough fantasy of an open world RPG, 
but is immersive enough to make it very difficult to drink the seltzer on the table beside of me in my actual home. Not to mention, in addition, the discomfort of the device itself, traipsing across virtual worlds made me wildly motion sick. So basically, all that to say that the metaverse, Mark Zuckerberg is pouring a ton of money into this. It's like, this is going to happen. And now it's slowly been unveiling it for a while. And now that people can use it, they're like, it looks terrible. It looks terrible. You remember it that does. Like, it looks Super like Super Bowl commercial where they were all legless. Oh, we're going to get to that. Okay. All right. Oh, we're going to get to this Super Bowl commercial because, oh yeah, this plays a huge role in it at like the last minute, by the way. Um, when I said this was something you were already on, it's because of okay. the Super yeah, Bowl yeah. commercial for Meta that you talked about. So yes, it looks terrible. Um, it looks like a, an animated PBS children's show from 15 years ago or like Caillou or something. It's very simple. And in this essay, Josh Gunderman also mentions that like pretty recently, Mark Zuckerberg back in August had taken like a selfie of himself in the metaverse in front of the Eiffel Tower. I'm going to show Michelle the selfie Mark Zuckerberg took of himself in Paris. Oh, so you see that? This is this is promotional. Like he wants me to look at that and be like, "Yes, please take me there." Yep. Um. He's it's the the metaverse. I, ca I keep calling it metaverse, but it's called like Horizon Worlds now. And the caption for this, he he posted this to his Twitter account and said, "We're launching Horizon Worlds in France and Spain today. Looking forward to seeing people explore and build immersive worlds, and to bringing this to more countries soon." So I mean, this, this looks like he was showing off. This is something I could have made in like, what was the, what was the old like MS paint in like 1996 yes. or whatever. <laughs> you really could, right? It has that vibe of like, like really bad flash animation or MS paint or exactly. So this is all happening. People are starting to use horizon worlds. They are saying this looks terrible. And yet Mark Zuckerberg doesn't seem to care or even notice. Why? Why does this thing? Because, you know, we've talked about it. It's like, do we need to start buying property in the metaverse? Like, is this going to be this huge? It seems like this is going to be really big. So I then got very interested. What I wanted to research was why does it look so bad? Um, billions upon billions of dollars are being poured into this. And we have artistic abilities like we know we yeah. do so it doesn't have to be this bad and so then I started to get creeped out because when big tech companies do things that are that people can't understand we should probably be a little concerned Michelle and I think the canary in the coal mine is Duolingo and Duolingo knows what's happening you should pay attention to Duolingo and they're wild Twitter account. And that's going to tell us something about the world. But if we're following Facebook, this is very unsettling. And so I found an article, a different article talking about this on Slate. So the question of why does this look so bad when it doesn't have to? And the Slate article says, there may actually be a good answer to these questions. Given the current state of tech, the metaverse or any large online immersive virtual world, it may work better for more people if it looks worse. 
And they don't necessarily mean it's easier to maneuver. They're just saying for the greatest amount of people, if it just looks bad, it's actually a good thing. So what does that mean? And what they're basically, I kept seeing again and again, is they know it looks bad. They don't care. And they don't have to care. It's so powerful for various reasons. It doesn't have to look good. And it's like the Super Bowl or the Super Bowl ad we're alluding to was um, for Meta, for the Oculus Rift and Meta. And it was very sad. It was very kind awful. of creepy. Like, I, I saw that ad and I was like, yeah. oh, the future is not for me. <laughs> right. It gave you that feeling of like, this is who is this for? What is happening? What just what is the rhetorical positioning of for those of you who didn't hear us talk about it then? This is the one where like there's like a Chuck E. Cheese style um animatronic animal that gets taken out when the Chuck E. Cheese or I mean they didn't literally call it Chuck E. Cheese, but we knew what they were referring to. And it's in like a dump dump and it is getting ready to be completely um like destroyed by like a garbage crusher. But then somebody saves it at the last minute and puts it in a museum of like old things. Um, definitely and then some our kids. age groups right in the right. like, yeah, you're old, by the oh. way. You're old now. Um, but then somebody, some kids are playing on their like meta virtual reality goggles. And as the place closes down, they put it on the eyes of the animatronic. So now it can go and meet with its old friends in the metaverse, even though it's really rotting in a museum where nobody cares about it. And right. the message seems to me to be like, yeah, you're dying and decaying, but you can pretend you're not. And that was not uplifting for me. It did not make me want to buy this product. Whole world's on. So strap on some headphones, some goggles and pretend it's not happening. Right. And if that is the message they're trying to get across, that's very disconcerting. And we need to say, well, no, let's try to make the world not on fire and let's try to make resources more available for more people instead of saying well you can go get motion sick without legs because one of the reasons this does look so bad and i will come back to this is that in the metaverse in horizon worlds you're only a torso and that's part of the reason when we saw the footage we're like this looks ridiculous because it's a bunch of torsos no one in the metaverse has legs nothing from the waist down so that ad is there, it's saying this is kind of the new way things are going to be. People are taking it fairly seriously to different extents. Why does it not have to look good? Um, partly it is, I found some things that didn't convince me that were like, don't worry, don't be scared. It's It makes sense. And I don't think we should not be scared, but some of these do make sense. One of the first things is expense, a home consumer price point. That's why we have this new wave of VR that's been going on for over eight, nine years is because it's fairly cheap. And it's because they use stereoscopic technology, which is a very old school technology, instead of like the old Game Boy, like virtual boy that gave you migraines. So because of that, it's a lot easier and cheaper to make them so more people can use them. But the vice president of technology at Slate, Greg Lavalli, says in layman's terms, basically, what you can do with a television screen and a video game, you can't do in virtual reality. That the okay. amount of work, 
the layering of animation, that high level of animation we're used to in like video games now, you just at a cheap price point can't get a headset that is as good as that screen and that system. And he says in layman's terms, you can't wear a PS5 on your face. Okay, I buy that. That makes sense. The gear that makes it virtual, that makes it VR, just isn't as good as the other video game equipment we have right now. Um, It also, some people say, is an accessibility thing. And not in terms of disabilities, but in terms of just new users understanding the space. And so um, a journalist, a tech journalist named Diami Virgilio basically says that other reasons why it looks so bad is that for new users who may be struggling with motion sickness or disorientation in VR, keeping it simple is beneficial. So if you do get motion sick with VR, things like that, if it gives you headaches, the more simple the imagery is, the less likely that is to happen, maybe. But now we're going to start to get to what I think is really the case, which is free fucking labor for Facebook, which is now known as Meta, right? The corporation that is Meta. Um, I think the answer that was most satisfying to me is that if you go in to New Horizons right now, it's a lot of like open space, open play, but a lot of it is make your own world. You make your own world. This is a beautiful endeavor. Yeah. You, right th- that that is a reference to um hank green's the uh the carl's duology um the second book in that a beautifully foolish endeavor i, I won't give spoilers because if you haven't read it i highly recommend you do but there is a whole major plot point about virtual reality worlds in which people are encouraged to create and sell the components for Except- what is basically an empty virtual world Right, that they can make it. And if you make it well, other people will buy it, which is like second life. It's a second life model. But we are so deep in our capitalist hellscape that that dystopic book is more positive than what's really happening, which is you you pay for the privilege of doing the work for for them them. (laughs) and you will never get paid. You're not getting paid. It's free fucking labor. So this article goes on to say the primary value of Horizon Worlds is developing a cadre of builders and influencers who will evangelize the metaverse vision to others and create experiences that Meta can use in its promotional materials as well as its gameplay. It's a free laboratory for the company to learn what kind of digital objects users want and are willing to pay for while having those objects built for free. So someone once told me a story about a um, new university campus that was built. And instead of putting in sidewalks, they just let the students walk to class for like a semester. And then they paved all of the pathways that were left from them because they they were so frustrated by like, they would make a path and then that wouldn't be the one students would use. So they would like wander, you know, and kill the grass everywhere. And they're like, we're just gonna let them walk where they wanna walk and then we'll pave wherever it is they walk. Um, and so like in that way, that sounds really nice, right? Like, but we don't want to yeah. tell you how to use this. You, but, but like you're saying, they're going to completely exploit that labor. Like it's not, right. it's, 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 it may have practical applications, but that's not the motivation. Yeah. It's not a second world, second life model where people did for a long time on second life, make whole living selling stuff on that. 
Not a lot of people, but some. So exactly. And basically it's, it's, this is disconcerting to say the least. And another journalist, a tech journalist named um, Shiva Vahatnathan wrote an article about this titled, and I just think the title of this article is great. You don't change your name to Meta if you think anyone can stop you. And I will link to that article, but that article is about the fact that Facebook has changed its corporation to Meta. And no one is questioning that the word Meta is like not something we should like let a corporation own. And we say, yeah, that's Facebook's Meta. And they go on. It's important to clarify that this is not a name change or rebranding as much as an ideological declaration of intent. Imagine if at the dawn of the British East India Company, their expansion into the Indian subcontinent in 1757, someone had rebranded the company to the British Empire. That would have been audacious. This is as audacious as that. Yeah, yeah. No, that is... And and I'll say when, when they first came out and we're like, yeah, they were rebranding this meta, I kind of rolled my eyes a bit, but I wasn't like, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel like I had the shock no. that I should have had over what they were yeah. purporting yeah. they were going to do, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was very interesting to me. That's a great article I'll link to. And then this quote from it made me laugh because with the Chuck E. Cheese ad, you were like, who is this for? Because it's not me. I don't like it. Um, they go on to say, um, Siva goes on to say, I'm no tech entrepreneur, but it seems to me that investing billions of dollars through thousands of highly trained experts to solve a problem no one seems to want solved is a bad way to deploy resources. But resources like money, training, and labor are highly concentrated among a handful of global companies, Facebook among them, so they get to make such silly choices and we have to live with them. So it's like, who is this for? It's for the corporations. It's not about us anymore. I just wrote a book with my husband, um, which is in peer review right now, fingers crossed. But we do talk about this idea of the corpo scene, right? Everyone's like capitalist scene, late capitalism. But this idea of corpo scene in which we do live in a time where it is not human-based, but it is corporation-based. And we have to start learning how to fit around that. And I think this argument is very much that, that it's not for us. It doesn't look good to us because it's not for us. Um, it's not for us to consume and enjoy and pay for. It's there as this just corporate money entity that floats and lives on itself. And we have to deal with it now. So the real question though, so that's right. Those are all reasons why it might look bad. Accessibility, because they want free labor, because... It doesn't Dr. have to look good. Yeah. Actual tech issues cost. But one of the reasons it does look so silly, just so silly is the no legs. Yeah. And and I, I, will, I will ask you, why no legs? Why do you think that choice was made? I don't know. I mean, there's part of me that's like, is it to avoid some kind of sex issue? Like, to just get rid of... <laughs> You, you beat me to the punch. It's, you can't do anything with them. <laughs> you beat me to the punch, but that is what I think, right? <laughs> that it's like, that was... Mark Zuckerberg is well known for wanting to avoid any like sexual content and anything with technology, people will use first yeah. for either porn or pizza or both. Yeah. 
And I guess they were like, how do we make sure no one fucks in the metaverse? And the only way they could guarantee it was to literally give them no genitals at all. (laughs) It's the only way. Otherwise, we're going to be doing stuff. We just are. It's who we are as humans. Um, That I think deep down inside that they have never said that, but I know, you know, that's the reason. Um, The reasons given are that there aren't leg controllers and trackers the way on the market, the way there are hand controllers. The helmet is on your head. So that moves your head. Anyone who's been in VR knows you usually hold two controllers and that lets you know where you're hands are their argument is we just don't have anything to put on your legs so we can't track your legs or another excuse they gave was that in vr physical the physical height of an avatar can be different from your real life impression um so people might feel the avatar is pretty small or unusually tall which is one of the reasons many of these platforms avoid legs i don't buy that I don't buy that for one second. We've been playing video games for decades. Calm down. We've always we, had legs. We understand. Yeah. We understand yeah. that tiny person on the screen is not me, is not like as seen as accurately sized yeah, depictions. Yeah. No, we um, played when we were just like, you know, little blobs, but they had legs. We were blobs with legs. We've always had legs. Give us our legs. Even the Wii. Oh, did the Wii have legs? Oh. We, I don't think the Wii's did the like me's. The Mies, did they have legs or no? I don't, I don't think, think they, they did. I can't remember. They had legs. They had to have legs. I'm gonna, Michelle's I'm, looking this, look this up. up. I'm going to continue. Um, they also pointed out that in real life, when you look down, you're used to seeing your legs, that they're at a specific distance away from your face that you're used to. But in the virtual world, if that situation is not replicated, it could cause you to feel nauseous and fall over. If they don't get your legs right, you're going to fall down. That's their other concern. Mies had legs. So even Mies had legs. They, they do go real- invisible sometimes for like specific mechanics and specific games, which is probably why we were having trouble remembering. But they do have legs. Like when you they design your knees, there are legs. You get to choose pants. I thought so. Well, Mark Zuckerberg has bowed to the sex, sh- the sexual pressure. Maybe this is a pre-connection with wingspan in the box. With give the people what they want. People want um, legs. He announced on October 11th that legs will be coming, as will the avatars. Dun, dun, dun. Um, we're gonna get legs in the metaverse. <laughs> cool, but the but power, that what we the- can do when we all come together. <laughs> We want legs. We want legs. Um, so because of um, that was my research, but then because all my research tends to lead back to art, like two days ago, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I get in my inbox, there's something called DIS, D-I-S, which is kind of like a virtual art platform. And every like once a month, they will put out a big video art project and you can watch it for free and this week's this month for november was called um syzygy by jacob Hurwitz goodman and it's not so much an art video as it is and these are very popular they've been popular for a long time kind of like you know a um a visual essay like a video essay 
And they're very long form ones. They're documentarians who do it really well, but it's basically the documentarian, the, pe- the person making it, speaking in voiceover over mostly stock footage or archived clips. And that's what this is. It's not an art video. It's it's a very interesting visual essay on that Super Bowl ad. And the question of why does that Super Bowl ad, why does it make you feel so disturbed? What is happening? So this question you had on Angry Mint months and months and months ago, if not a year ago, like I watched the whole thing today and I feel like it really satisfyingly answers it. Is and that it is shareable? Amazing like is that that they have the link up and I will link it in the show notes. I will send you the link because you have to watch it. It's like just under 30 minutes. And so it includes this whole history of basically like neoliberalism and capitalism in a way, but through the filter of that Facebook ad. And it, I learned all about the person who made the first Chuck E. Cheese, whose last name is Bushnell. And they dreamed of working at Disney World and their animatronics. And Disney World would not hire them, would not accept them. And so they went to Silicon Valley and then became a pretty big player in Atari. And when Atari did something called um, leveraged buyout, I did not know what a leveraged buyout was before this, but this goes into deep detail about what a leveraged buyout is and why we are all at the will of these tech capitalist, you know, just why the wealth gap is happening. Why is capitalism acting the way that it is now? Why do we have a corpo scene? And one of like the main reasons is leveraged buyouts becoming a thing. And I won't explain them here because the video does a much better job than I ever could. But basically, in a very early leveraged buyout, Atari, for which Bushnell, the creator of Chuck E. Cheese, worked for, he made a deal that with that deal came the fact that he got to open a restaurant to test his animatronics in. And so there was originally just one Chuck E. Cheese in California owned by Atari because that's who owned Showbiz Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese at first. And so he tested out. It became very popular. And the ownership of Chuck E. Cheese just gets weirder than that. It gets so interesting. You have to watch this. But first, the framing he does is that when we say these animatronic characters in the ads are kind of taken away, right? They're no, they were animatronics playing in a band and the restaurant closes and they're not needed anymore. He frames them as workers, that they are workers And they're workers who are now defunct, workers who are no longer employable. And this ad is using that as a starting off point. And that's really weird. Like the whole ad is so weird. And it glosses over why. So I'm going to just read the quote, which is nested inside this ad in a place deeper than subtext. Perhaps we should call it the corporate subconscious, a commercial dream realm from which meaning bursts forth against the will of any board member, PR manager, or marketing firm, hidden in plain sight is the story of the very real tragedy of the consequences which appear in this ad. And then frames it as, 
It glosses over why the workers and us, the viewers by proxy, have been made to feel powerless and worthless inside of our own lives. And why is that the starting off point? Yeah, that's just the given, and, right? Like that's not, it's, it's just not the given. problem to be solved. That's just the existence. But this is, but it is the problem to be solved in a way because part of this video has an interview with John Carmack, who was a former CTO of Oculus. And he, it's exactly what you think, Michelle. They're saying it out loud, which is, he's like, this is great. This is great because, you know, in the world, it just isn't possible for everyone to have everything they want. There's limited resources. Not everyone can have, you know, um, Branson's, the who owns Virgin, his whole like two dozen islands with a mansion on each and one, because there's just not enough islands. Not every human being who wants an island can have an island because there's only so many islands in the world. Keep this in mind that like Richard Branson has an island that um, Mark Zuckerberg is in huge legal battles in Hawaii because he wants to buy native land that shouldn't be for sale and privatize it for himself. But this person is saying not everyone can have these things. And most of the things he points out are big mansions, private islands, things that tech people like Mark Zuckerberg have. And he says, but don't worry because everyone can have them. The beauty of this is that everyone can have it in the metaverse. But what we're really saying chilling. is that everyone can have a home or a job or a But you can purpose. have it in the metaverse. Ooh. And that's exactly it, right? Oh my God, it, it is. And so your whole thing about get used to it, this is the new order, you're rotting. So go put on a headset and live you know, in zero feet because there's no room for you because the uber rich, the wealth disparity is so big that they need all the islands. They need more islands. So you go into a smaller space and pretend to have an island. So we can take over the actual space and turn it into our actual island. Which, I mean, we've talked about this before about um, education and how the uber rich, their kids are not educated at all in the way that standardized education is. Like that, you know, all these public schools are sticking kids with iPads and they're just going through these like multiple choice things and all these standardized tests. And if you go and look at the schools for the uber rich, their kids are like doing these like nature based, exploratory, not a piece of tech around, like just this holistic, full immersion. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And so the huge fear is that, yes, there's huge wealth inequality gaps right now um education that plays a role in it's going to be a bigger and bigger role with like climate change right with just like who gets to live comfortably who can even live but i i really i don't want to sound alarmist but is it going to become about who can who can be in reality and who has to be in virtual reality and that's the gap and to bring it full circle josh josh gondelman was joking he's like well i can't afford to go on a real vacation but i can do this but even in that joke where we have already accepted it and we're already using that, I don't have enough money to go on a plane and go to an island. So I'll wow. use this. I just so got even a preconception that I don't like. Because <laughs> the rehearsal, the quote from that article I read about the rehearsal was about what a passive medium TV is. And this is not, this is, oh, I, mm. I don't like this. Well, that's my research. Um, 
Yeah. I need a Foley in the sound of me squirming. <laughs> Michelle has gotten up. She's throwing up. Oh, this is sickened her. <laughs> oh, well, my research is. Oh, she's whacking a pinata in the shape of Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, hit it. Hit Without it. legs. Candy fell out. Listen to that. So my research is, um, have you read Cyrano de Bergerac? I haven't read it. I haven't actually read it. It's so it's, in culture, but I, I had it. not either. Um, and I, I am now reading it because I'm teaching it to a bunch of high schoolers in a film adaptation class. We're going to watch, um, we're going to read Cyrano de Bergerac and then watch the half of it, which is the Netflix show where that takes the kind of Cyrano-esque plot line. Did you know that Cyrano de Bergerac was a real person? No, I did not. Going to read straight from the context guide I created for my students. Thanks. Cyrano de Bergerac, you probably know the name from the 1897 play written by Edmund Rostin, originally written in French and almost immediately translated into English, Russian, German, and many other European languages because it was so popular that when it hit the stage, it was in production for 300 consecutive nights. It was a smash hit from the moment that it was created. And though Rostin um, had been writing for quite a while at the point that he wrote this, this is definitely like the thing he's known for. So um, Cyrano de Bergerac was immensely popular, continues to be published today. There's uh, tons and tons of adaptations to it, which I'll get to in a moment. But I did not know before I started teaching this, I didn't know that it was based on a real person and I didn't know anything about that real person, obviously, since I didn't know that he existed. So the real Cyrano de Bergerac uh, was a French playwriter who was born in 1619. We don't know a whole lot about which parts of his life are real and which parts of them are fake because he sort of was almost like a, I don't, it makes me think of like Johnny Appleseed, how there really is a Johnny Appleseed but the myths of him have become right. like just wild and like where can you really separate out fact and fiction in the 1970s there was a huge uh interest in figuring out more about the real life of Cyrano de Bergerac so a bunch of historians started piecing some things together but there are still disagreements about key details such as where he ended up attending school um we do know that he uh was kind of that he got into some kind of trouble in his in his early teens. Um, his dad ended up just like letting him roam Paris on his own from a pretty early age. And he, we don't know exactly what he was involved in. It could have just been dueling and drinking. Um, it might have been homosexual acts, which, uh, you know, were causing him to be like, oh, you can't do this. You're, you're going to get in trouble. Almost everything right. we know about him comes from a biography written by one of his closest friends who obviously has, you know, a bias and wants to share the best parts of his friend's life. And so there's like right. gaps in that, like where he's just kind of like, and then he was getting into trouble and we told him he needed to stop. And we're like, what kind of trouble, right? He's a um, scallion. Right, right. So like historians have been like, well, maybe he was gay and that that's, you know, they were trying to get him away from that. Or maybe we do know that he got in a lot of duels. Like he just fought a lot. Um, and so at the age of 19, he entered military service and he earned a reputation for dueling and boasting about it. He did, as the play has made famous, have a rather large nose. It does not seem that he had any like 
insecurities about it or issues with it, unlike the way that it's portrayed in the play. Um, after the military service, he went back to Paris and started writing plays. He wrote a lot of tragedies in the classical form of the time. Uh, Roxanne, the love interest in the play, is played by or is based on Cyrano's real life cousin, a woman named Catherine. But there's no indication that they had a romance or anything. Or and the the Roxanne Christian uh, Christian uh, plotline is is completely made up. That's completely fictional. So um, the play is very very loosely based on this the myth that surrounded this real man that he was such a like fighter and um, brave. And so I was fascinated because as I was doing this research, I kept finding a lot of like very conservative media sites that were like really celebrating this play. And I think it's because he stands for some like independence in the face of people trying to make you uh, cater to the like the, arist the aristocratic whims or whatever. Um, so that it's some sort of like fierce independence. And that was pretty fascinating uh, to me. Um, yeah. But the play itself is written in the Alexandrian form, which was, so Rostand is writing it in 1897. And by that point, the Alexandrian form is hundreds of years removed from like popularity, right? So it's like, he's going way back in time to pick up this form that would have been popular in Cyrano's own time. And it's, so uh. it's, um, it is, rhyming couplets of 12 syllables each it's not entirely obvious when you're reading it especially depending on what translation you have because he didn't use the seishara to the pause at the end of the line so like they're not always at the end of a sentence gotcha. where you can see the um and and like there's a scene in there where he uses like the ballad form which is like three eight line stanzas with this really complicated rhyme scheme and it, they're all just so masterfully executed and so i think that's part of what made it so um like that's what made it run for 300 nights or whatever, that it was just this really artistic delivery of gotcha. this kind of bizarre story. And I've just been really curious and I don't know the answers to this for why has this been adapted so many times? So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about the film you mentioned, adaptations. You're like, Oh, they're going to watch the Netflix one. And I'm like, I was thinking of a whole different Netflix movie adaptation. Cause there are so many just on Netflix for teens. So Sarah original, Bridges is a loser. The original play was written in 1898. The first film adaptation was two years later in 1900. It was a, a French production, which I didn't even know. Like I'm, I'm gonna click, I'm gonna click to get some more details about it. Um, a short drama film directed by Clement Maurice. It was shown in 1900 Paris Universal Exposition. It was tinted with color and synchronized to a wax cylinder recording, thought to be the first film made with both color and sound. Wow. So so this is like. Not even just a lot of adaptations, the very first adaptation ever, maybe film adaptation. So it was turned into a film in 1900. It was turned into a film in 1925, 1938, 1946, 1950, 1962, 1968, 1974, 1985, 1990, 2008, and 2021. The 2021 one is the um, one that stars Peter Dinklage. Like it just, it just came out. I have not seen it yet. Oh yeah. I haven't seen it. 
Um, and then there are all of these derivative versions of it. Oh, so that's is, just so what you listed is just straight up. Great. Here is Cyrano de Bergerac. Like, put here's a reimagining, not 10 things I hate about you style. Yeah. Okay. Ah, I just figured out this is where that conservative thing. Ayn Rand wrote a screenplay called Love Letters oh, in 1935 that is based on Cyrano. So that's where that that's makes sense. It. Um, there you go. Okay. Um, oh, there man. is I, a looks like a oh my gosh, Michelle. Speaking of Ayn Rand, sorry. Brandy Melville, which is like a a teen young woman clothing company. And do you know how like Target has um Within Target, there are different brands, right? They have like this brand and this brand, and this is for work and this is for jammies, um, like Universal Threads. So, you know, under one store, still different brands. Brandy Melville has one of those brands that is named John Galt. And so I'm watching like all for my, for my, for my book on YouTube. Also, I watch a lot of YouTube. I'm watching all of these young you know, maybe 17 to 25 year old influencers being like, my shirt of the day is John Galt and these shoes are John Galt. And I was like, what, 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 what? You live in such a weird time. <sighs> Sorry, I just, speaking of yeah. that Ayn Rand thing occurred to me that it, that is so weird. Brandy Melville has a John Galt. Oh, people love Ayn Rand. Ooh. It was like a scholarship when and my high school this by then you were gone from there but um it was like that Ayn Rand scholarship if you wrote about freedom efficiently you could get a scholarship <laughs> oh, no. like it was yeah very probably put on by the Mason's Club of Ellsbury <laughs> yeah um <sighs> there is a it looks like a Japanese movie that translates to life of an expert swordsman that's from 1959 there is the, my earliest introduction to the Cyrano story, Roxanne, starring Steve Martin in 1987. Oh, yeah. That's what came to mind for me. There's The Truth About Cats and Dogs, starring Uma Thurman <gasps> and Janine Garofalo in 1996. I gasped, audience, because I remember I have very good memories of watching that movie in Michelle's living room. We watched that together. We thought it was so romantic. It was oh, so touching. I think I mostly just liked Uma Thurman and Janine Garofalo. Yeah. And uh, bigger than the sky that. was in 2005 in which the protagonist auditions for a local community theater production of Cyrano and the movie plays out with it as the background theme. So I don't know if it's a, is clearly a, it's not as direct of an adaptation. Um, Cyrano agency is a Korean romance comedy. Megamind, the animated DreamWorks movie is apparently a reimagining of the characters in superhero supervillain format let it shine is a disney channel original movie from 2012 uh loosely based on the story um a telugu adaptation called something i am not gonna mispronounce for you came out in 2014 sierra burgess is a loser is that the one you were thinking of because that's an that. that was the one i was thinking of the story Roxy, hashtag Roxy, is from 2018. And The Most Beautiful Girl in the World is a German reimagining from 2018. The half of it, which is the one that my students are going to watch, is um, a Netflix original from 2020. So um, that's a lot of adaptations for, for one one play. I am just, I, yeah, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think about 
off the top of my head that has that even close to that many. It doesn't keep a lot of the elements that I think made the, because it's not like it's, they're keeping like the form and the poetry in these adaptations. I mean, maybe the film ones, uh, like the direct, like, let me just translate Cyrano onto the page. Um, but I mean, I, I have not watched any of the direct film adaptations. So I don't know if that's the case, but certainly not these like derivative ones. Like Megamind was not written in the Alexandrian form, you know, like that's not, that's not coming, playing through. And I'm really interested in like the truth about cats and dogs and Roxanne. And um, I think Sierra Burgess is a loser and the half of it, which are the versions that I have seen. The Cyrano character, the Cyrano stand-in, is like this sh shy, shrinking Violet who just like can't get up the courage to talk to people. That is not the Cyrano of the book, and it's not the Cyrano. I know of you life. kept talking about sword fighting. I'm like, I didn't know one of the more popular elements was just sword fighting of this. So this opens up. <laughs> the play opens up at a play, and um, there's a bunch of like, so it's a real clear like class distinction, like depending on who who gets to sit where or whatever. And um, Cyrano's friends are there, and they're like, "Oh, I'm so glad Cyrano's not here because there is a man coming to perform." who Cyrano has told that he's such a bad actor, he has um, forbid him from performing for the next three weeks. And if he shows up, he's going to duel him. And so they're like, oh, it's a good thing Cyrano just isn't here today. We don't need all that. You know, we don't need him sword fighting or whatever. And so Cyrano pops up as the play starts. So then he's saying like three lines. He pops up from the orchestra pit, holds his sword up and is like, I told you that you can't perform here. <laughs> Jumps on the stage chases the man off and the 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 guy who runs the theater is like i can't afford to refund all these tickets and so cyrano grabs out a sack of gold and throws it and he's like if that's if that's your problem here and the man's like never mind you can interrupt the play every night or whatever um we find out after the fact that cyrano has spent his entire month's pay as a uh soldier to as a cadet to do that like it was all some grand gesture just so he could come up on stage and like but then That's somebody somebody else comes and challenges him. He's like, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do this. And so he um, gives, he's like, no, nah, I'll fight you. So he pulls out his sword. He's like, but you, you called me a poet. Like it was a bad thing. So while I fight you, I'm going to construct this ballad as I battle. And I will do the final thrust at the last line. And he does. And it's so, it's so like the Cyrano of the play is this incredibly bold, incredibly smart, respected and feared man. And that is not how any of the like Cyrano stand-ins in the versions that I've seen are portrayed. No. So I'm like, what are you even adapting at this point? Like you didn't keep the form. You didn't keep the character. Like what are, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, cause I didn't know any of that. I was trying to think through why is this so popular, but reverse engineering it only by knowing the popular remakes. Right. So then it, it seems pretty easy that it's, you know, kind of the adult version fan children's fantasy where you're special no one around you sees it and then one day everyone sees it right that like, like the ugly duckling story right right taking off your glasses right in like any teen movie um it could because deep down inside everyone not everyone i don't but i think deep down inside a lot of people want to be like i am special you know but the part I'm that special. always gets adapted is the like the very smart 
person who no one notices speaks. No, for. right, right. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Here's where I'm going with that is saying everyone's like, I think I am special, but you can't go around saying I'm special. And so there needs to be an elaborate fantasy in which the world goes, oh, you're special. And so whether that's an owl comes to you under the stairs or whether that's like you're helping someone out who's better, but then you're so special, it just shines through. And then other people discover it by accident. So you don't have to be a narcissist, right? And be like, oh, look at me. Be like me, I was just being, I was just being helpful. Maybe this is like the, the rehearsal, right? Where he's like, oh, I'm just trying to help people. But then everyone says, oh, you're an artist or whatever. Right. That seems like on a universal human level of like, you are not being recognized for your talents because of something. And so through convoluted things, you are recognized for your talents and everyone but not loves in a way you. that makes you conceited or full of yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's not what the book is. So no. that's that guy's very conceited. Woof. So I don't know that I, it doesn't really come to any conclusions. Maybe after I talk about it with my students and, um, you know, have a follow finish up. it up and watch the movie and talk that through, maybe I'll have a follow up, but I, I'm just really interested in how we got to so many adaptations, many of which I feel like have strayed so far from the core that I am not really sure what we're doing. Okay, so are we ready? I, I think we are. Should we recap? Let's recap. So my weird thing was cadaver bones in your face for bone grafts. My weird thing was the wingspan nesting box drama. Still makes me happy in a weird way. Um, My pop culture thing was the fact that Julia Roberts' birth was paid for, financed, if you will. Her original backers were Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King. Mine was the weird connection I see between the rehearsal and Atlanta and how they're both genre bending in order to ask some questions about what does it mean to act. Very well summarized. I'm impressed by that. Um, And then my research thing was about the metaverse. Now, Meta, why does it look so bad? Why can't we have legs? And my research thing was Cyrano de Bergerac, the real person, the play, and why are there so many versions of this? Okay. Okay. I mean, so clearly we have a thread of like, what does it mean to be real, right? Right. What is, yeah, what is like an authenticity maybe? I don't know if like what kind of it's so hard these days to be like, what do you mean by real? When I taught ages ago, it would be like the real world versus virtual digital world. And now that digital divide does not exist. You can't say real world as opposed to the Internet. Right. It's all real. Yeah. Some people yeah. try to make meat meat world happen. No, no, that's never going to stick. Stop. Well, so. What because is like, real? so the Cyrano, Cyrano is like, there's this myth built up around this real person that becomes this play that then becomes these adaptations. And each level is, is filtering out so much of the reality yeah. that like what most of us think of when we think of Cyrano de Bergerac is like the shy wilting wallflower that 
gives romantic poems so that maybe someday someone will finally notice him when the actual myth was about this like grand sword fighter who wasn't even really in love possibly with a woman at all right like yeah (laughs) who just was like so uh, debonair and rapscallion it is interesting that the way the it's kind of like this is to this is this is to this that the way the mythology of the play to the is it a play or is it a book it's a play you said that several times probably um so the play is to the original man as now our cultural conception of it is to the original play yeah yeah right? the linkages are really not there but not not Would full circle consider... not back to returning no. it to, yeah just more and more and more um would What'd you, you mean? consider shallow hell a version of Cyrano de Bergerac maybe I mean it certainly has some elements right because it's one thing to be like everyone recognizes me but then isn't it also like well no one sees the real me no one really knows me because they're so distracted by physical things if only they knew me is love is blind an offshoot of Cyrano de Bergerac did you you see the latest uh what what was it in I think it was a Jezebel takedown of love is blind and they were like love is blind is for masochists and people who hate other people <laughs> that's the people, only one people who people are still who watching hate people <laughs> are the watching us people um I stopped watching this season and I watch oh, everything see, you must not be a people who hates other people uh, we, <laughs> mm, I was reading the recap. I was like, this sounds awful. I'm so glad I did not watch this. Yeah, I'm I'm well, out on that. There's too much TV. Um, so, so there's the obvious it's a meta's connection is obvious, right? Like you're gonna be this avatar that looks terrible without legs in this blank empty space. What is it going to become? And what what are the layers and filters for that? The rehearsal connection, I think, is in Atlanta. Like that's the whole question. So what like, if you had to sum up what we're trying to lock everything into what would you say i think it's like how who how did you become who you are which fits really well with the julia roberts i was gonna say right i think that works too where her parents had an acting school she was literally, because of like that connection, they had the money for her to be born an actress. I don't know. There's a lot of things there. And and the Wingspan one, like, I don't think these people, uh, some of them, sure. But I don't think this many people would have wanted a empty box if it wasn't for the performance within this community on Facebook, right? Doesn't like, the Wingspan thing feel like the best metaphor for what we're trying to make our final message, which is like the desire for this empty box? How many people want this empty box? Because this empty box has this veneer we can't quite get at why you want this empty box so badly that not only will it sell out, but people will like accuse them of falsity, which says a lot, right? We don't trust the world and yet we trust we still want it what so they much. Make, even if we don't no, trust right? them. Ex- yes. Yes, the phrase, I'm not buying what you're selling can no longer mean I don't believe you because we're always buying what they're selling. We have to buy what they're selling even when we aren't buying what they're selling. I'm side-eyeing you while I buy what you're selling. No, right? It's like you're a fake. 
they they love it so much that they will buy an empty box because it has that kind of you know aura of the product and yet they will accuse the people that make that product of false scarcity and deceiving them that quick like on the one hand yes we want it because we love you but you're going to deceive us and lie to us and those things aren't mutually exclusive right, at all right. anymore like with the try guys. I mean, it's all, like and I, and I truly do not think that Stonemeyer games did anything nefarious. And I think they're trying no, to, no, no. As they can to, but it's just the fact that that's but, where we jump first. Yeah. We that, I mean, that's are so willing to right? believe yeah. not to believe. And yet when it does come to consuming things, we will buy an empty box because <laughs> got the sticker bird slapped well, on it. And, and that's not to downplay it. It's a beautiful box. I'm sure. But and in the Facebook group, there's this huge thing. Like everybody who's getting theirs is posting the picture of it. And it's like thousands of them. So there are thousands. I'm like, yeah, we, we've seen it. Like it's yeah, the same But they picture. feel special. Because you need like to Sharon show that you got yours. I wanted to feel special. Yeah. And like, I guess the same thing when everyone's plastering pictures of their empty boxes. And that's going to be like everyone doing vacation selfies from the Eiffel Tower looking like Caillou on PBS. That it'll be like, we know it's fake and yet we're going to start treating it like it's... What is, again, what is fake, what is real? But we know it's not the same as going to an island in the physical... It's also physical though. Like the fact that it's getting harder and harder to Mm -hmm. separate these into terminology is fascinating. And intentional, right? Like that's oh that's yeah, what that's by design. Absolutely, like the bones in your mouth that now seem. <gasps> we had to fit that in. Yes, that I got excited because I heard I had human bones in my face, and then I then they're a powder, but yeah. I still want it. Well, I think that it's. I mean, whether or not your mouth rejects it is about whether it becomes. It's like a like, well, no, real. I think the way this fits is that you said you already have human bones in your face, Catherine. I'm like, yeah, but now I have these human bones in my face. <laughs> this empty box of human bones is different than this my box, empty box of human yeah. bones. And I was lucky. I got the best human bones. Right, right. Even that way that I'm like, I didn't do it, but the doctor did it to be like, you're getting the good bones. <laughs> like, I hope they're all good if you're putting them in my face. I don't and yet I do kind of feel like well, if I meet someone else who has a bone graft, I'll be like, what kind what, of bones? What kind of bones do, do you, you have? have? Yeah. And I mean I like know, I'm so, all human. You'd be like, excuse me, can you not call me in for a bone graft until you have the good bones? I would only like the good bones, please. Like right, right. the good bones. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we found the connection then. It's like, how do we yeah, there's what's, what's did we fit saying then? So what your weird thing was the the board game was the empty box, which is so important. We got both our research. Yeah, no, we we did it. So what is, okay. So we have like the overall vibe of what we're yeah, going towards. Yeah. And again, if this is your first time listening, we kind of like to say that we want the sentiment to be as clear and as take it away with you as like a fortune cookie fortune. So what would our fortune cookie fortune be about? We don't know what's real anymore. We... How do we become who we are? Um, we're not buying what you're selling, but we're buying what you're selling. All that. 
feel like it's something like not quite like watch where you come from or and it's not know where you come from because that's not right wherever you came from you can't determine where you go like I just feel so fatalist (laughs) (laughs) no matter who you are what you do except I don't know I feel like all those tech billionaires get to choose their own future while they put us all in a box a virtual box the bones don't get to decide where they go maybe these bones hate my face and that's why I can't do a full smile they're like we will not smile in this face ha it's our little bit of control that we have um Wow. I'm going to start. I felt like we were so close. We were so close. And then then it ran away from me. Um, Like legs in the metaverse. So. Is it maybe just like, where did you come from? Where are you going? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Joe. (laughs) (laughs) We're all Cotton Eye Joe. We're all Cotton Eye Joe. Just the lyrics. You open up a fortune cookie and it's the lyrics of the Cotton Eye Joe. It's like, no, actually, it's explaining a lot about like right. what no, is this real. Is, this was way ahead of its time. <laughs> you open the fortune cookie and um, the fortune says, take your goggles off. This is virtual reality. No. Um, is there something about boxes? I feel like the empty box is a very good metaphor step out of your empty box or into it like yeah decide yeah do you want to be in the empty box do you want to be out of the empty box or do you want to be the empty box oh gosh because you really all of those things and they're saying yeah yeah some days some days you're in the empty box some days you're out sometimes you are the empty box Here's an empty box. What's next? Sometimes the box isn't empty and it's filled with bones. Literal or metaphoric. Um, does, does that work? Does Here's an empty box. What's next? Here's an empty box. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> the fortune cookies says, here's an empty box. What's next? And then you look around and you're like, where's the box fortune cookie? And like, that's the point. You're in it. Where is, where is the box? Are you in it? Are you, is it coming to you in the mail through Amazon? Is it in your face? <laughs> is it your face? Is your face an empty box waiting for My face is bovine bones? Box. Okay. So here's the box. What's next? You said? Here's an empty box. What's next? I mean, you know, I am going to say, I don't know if it best encapsulates what we're doing, but it is an excellent slogan that I love. (laughs) Here's an empty box. What's next? And that's also like, that's literally what New Horizons and like the meta is doing. Like here's an empty box. You tell us. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. if we t- take it to like, oh no, the- I was going to say something about pregnancy and and slang terms for where a baby comes out of. Julia Roberts isn't Julia Roberts isn't in there anymore. What's to be with her life? <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
Um, but the rehearsal and the the concept yeah. of like, what is TV? And is it passive? We often call TV a box. Box. You know? like, yeah. Perfect. Yes. Yes. Here's an empty box. What's next? I love it. I do really love it. And that's what I want to go with. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Here's an empty box. What's next? Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Enjoy. We're back. Whoa, Michelle. Is that is that a whole swarm of bees? <laughs> Why does that bee have a gun? Catherine has too many sounds to use. I did a lot of work and uh, <laughs> so did you, Michelle. And I'm realizing we're not going to use all those sounds, but I we don't have bees. And now I have to figure out how to make bee noises or edit this out. No one's hearing it. It was it's an empty, empty box. box. What's next? <laughs> okay. Goodbye, everyone. We'll Goodbye, see. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, get ready. Yeah, next oh. week is going to be the finale of Foley's Follies, and that's exciting. Also, since Angreement is back, so is Grab Bag. So, if you would please, 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 please submit a grab bag to us um, at angrementpodcast at gmail.com you can send us a weird thing a pop culture thing or a research thing you can send it to us in written form and we will read it out you can send us a video or audio and we will splice it in you can schedule an appointment with us and come on to the show live and talk with us whatever you would like to do we would love to have you submit a grab bag that we then have to put into our agreement and figure out how it fits yeah okay Goodbye, everybody. Bye.